You are listening to Vueltas y Revueltas, the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage four. Today we are in Molina de Aragón. Daniel, I think I've got something in my eye. Are you getting emotional, Richard? Well, who couldn't get emotional? Even even me uh, today. The Koenig Quickstep specialise in tear jerkers, don't they? After the, the, the Tour the de comeback, France this year. I know you were in tears then as well oh, yeah, when Mark Cavendish sealed yeah, his this comeback. Is, this is, on this a, is of different. a different magnitude, isn't different it? Different magnitude Jacobson. of poignancy, isn't it? Absolutely. Fabio Jakobsen. Um, for him, to, when you think back to his... Um, his terrible accident at the Tour of Poland just over a year ago. And 4th of August or 5th of August, I yeah, think. Yeah, 5th of August. And it was... He actually... He was the one that brought me almost to tears in the press conference because he spoke about Bjorg Lambrecht, who had died the previous year at the Tour of Poland. An incredibly sad, tragic um, event that... You know, that cast a shadow over the Vuelta that followed. I remember speaking to quite a few people from Lotus Sudal and other teams about the effect that that had had on them. And... Jakobsen brought up uh, Lambrecht right at the start of his press conference after winning the stage today um, and said that it was, the victory was also for him and that he thinks about him a lot. And that well, those are not just sort of empty words because anybody who watched his crash at the Tour of Poland last year did fear the worst. And they remembered the Tour of Poland the previous year and the, the awful tragedy of Lambrecht's death. And when we saw that crash and the sort of horrible aftermath of not knowing where he was, what happened to him, we couldn't see him. Um, this sort of silence descended on the cycling world and, and we all kind of feared the worst, didn't we? And to be reminded of that today by him in this very gracious way um, did bring it back. And, and, and it did sort of uh, just highlight what an astonishing comeback it has been by him to win again on a Grand Tour. At a race which really revealed him as a world-class sprinter a few years ago. Um, and, well, he's very much back in that category now, isn't he? Um, almost without breaking breaking stride in the last three or four months. Or that's what it's, that's how it seemed to us. And um, behind the scenes, there's been some anguish, some struggles. Well, we're going to hear about some of those later, aren't we? Yeah, I think in the first part, we will talk about Jakobsen and hear from some people around him about him. Um, but one thing I would say before we cross over to Not Watford and Lionel's tale of the Etapa is that he has never, you know, he must have been asked about his accident, his crash so many times. He's never um, appeared to resent that or, or to, to get bored of it or tired of it um, or wanting to move on. He did say that we can say this is the end of my comeback now. And, and I think that is, this does draw a line under that. He is back. He's back on the, on the top. Um, but... Yeah, what a story. Um, Lionel's going to fill us in on the rest of the stage now. Not so much an epic tale of the Etapa today, more a short story of the Etapa. Stage 4, 163.9 kilometres to Molina de Aragon. And a break of three riders were away for most of the day. Judging by the colours of the jerseys, it was like an unlucky dip into a packet of fruit pastels. Imagine the horror of pulling out two purple ones and only one orange one. At least there wasn't a green one in there, so I suppose that's a saving grace. No Kaharural rider up the road today. The men in the break were in purple for Burgos BH, Angel Madrazo and Carlos Canal, who's also the youngest rider in this welter. And there was a first appearance for Uskaltel Uskadi rider Joan Bao off the front 
he's keeping an audio diary for the cycling podcast and you can listen to his first dispatch in the most recent episode of kilometer zero with 100k to go the gap was four minutes 30 just about the biggest it was allowed all day and 50 kilometers later it was just over a minute and then we had a similar scenario to the other day where the peloton got almost within touching distance of the break with 30k to go the gap was down to just 13 seconds and then they let it go back out again five kilometers later it was back up to almost a minute they just didn't want to catch the break too soon with 13 and a half k to go though it was finally under control and everyone was back together and then we had a long straight run in towards the finish and after what seemed like an hour on a long straight road with barely anything to trouble the riders suddenly there was a crash on a gently sweeping right hander with 2.2 kilometers to go and it was Ryan Tarame in the red jersey who was on the ground. Fortunately, only a scuffed jersey and perhaps a, a couple of bruises. He was able to get back up on his bike and get to the finish knowing that his red jersey was safe because he was inside the three kilometers to go. There were a few more little splits in the bunch as they entered the town. And for a while, Groupama FDJ looked like they had it all under control for Arno Demar. There was a jump by Alpacin Phoenix rider Sasha Modelo. Difficult to know whether he was trying to go for a fly himself or just stretching things out for his teammate Jasper Philipson. Damar looked like he had it. Magnus Court was challenging him at one point, but then it was Fabio Jakobsen of De Kernink Quickstep who came through the middle to beat Damar on the line. And I know we keep talking about his terrible crash at the Tour of Poland last year, but this victory, uh, a Vuelta stage win, a couple of years after winning two stages of the 2019 Vuelta, does show that he is back and sprinting with the best in the biggest races. So Jakobsen gets his stage win, Arno Demar second, Magnus Court third, Jasper Philipsen in ninth position. Tomorrow should be a sprint rematch, perhaps a chance for Demar to get off the mark because Groupama FDJ do look like they have the resources for a lead out train of thoughts. Overall, no change. Ryan Tarame is still in the red jersey. Fabio Jakobsen is now in green. Tarame is still leading the King of the Mountains, but the jersey will be worn again by Kenny Ellisond, and Egan Bernal is in white. Uh, before we go back to the good and the bad, that's Richard and Daniel, or is it Daniel and Richard? I'm not sure. Here's a word from our title sponsor. You are listening to Vueltas y Revueltas, the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rights that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thanks to Super Sapiens for sponsoring the cycling podcast. Since they came on board earlier this year, we've been finding out a lot about continuous glucose monitoring. It's technology that has really revolutionized the lives of diabetics, but there are real benefits for athletes of all types, from professional down to keen amateurs and, uh, well, even less keen amateurs like myself. Um, the continuous glucose monitoring system uh, gives real-time insights into how your body is processing fuel. And if you would like to win a three-month supply of the Abbott LibraSense Glucosport biosensors, which simply stick on the arm and send data to the Super Sapiens app, you also get three months access to the app. 
You can do so by sending us a 60 second voice message saying why you think you should win a three month supply of the sensors and access to the app. Why do you think you are a worthy recipient of a Super Sapien subscription for three months? You can record your message on your phone and email it to us at contact at thecyclingpodcast.com or all the details are on the cyclingpodcast.com website. If you'd like to find out more about Super Sapiens and read a bit more in depth about how it all works, go to supersapiens.com. In the meantime, let's listen to one of the most recent entrants. Hi, I've been really keen uh, on cycling, probably more of a kind of a very amateur level uh, for probably about 20 years now. Um, my background, I'm West African. Um, but the the interesting thing is when I first got into cycling, I was kind of really uh, following a lot of the advice in magazines, which was very much of a European type diet. And over the years, um, I've changed my diet and I've gone more to like a an African um, type, you know, very starch based um, diet for cycling. And I found that it's really made a big difference. Um, what I'm really interested in is trying to understand how I can use Super Sapiens to really kind of quantify that difference and um, yeah it's a really good um, thing for me to do I've got some big events coming I've got the Fred Witten later on in September so it'd be good to kind of understand that and the impact and how I can really improve my performance for that so yeah thank you very much and keep up the good work well Daniel um, an emotional win for Fabi Jakobsen and uh, an incredible story as we said earlier on um, I don't know about you Rich but today I was emotional just leaving Burgos it feels like we've um, been there forever we've spent a, a large chunk of our lives there um, I say that we can almost say that we lived in Burgos yeah, for a bit four, I think five days and we, we're finally heading out that cafe's going to miss <laughs> us breakfast yes. yes and we're heading well now in a south easterly direction aren't we we just sort of crossed we crossed over the over the north side of Madrid today, and we're going back there tonight because we have to do a big U-shape to get to tomorrow's start. But we're following, Rich. We're pretty much following El Camino del Cid. We talked a lot about El Cid um, during the first few days. And El Cid, well, his, his fantastic military career kind of culminated in Valencia. He sort of ruled over Valencia for, for a, a long period. And so he made his way from Burgos via various battles and victories and ended up in Valencia where he reigned for many years over both Christians and Muslims. That's something that's often not said about the the 700 or so years when the Moors were in Spain, that often Christians and Muslims lived harmoniously side by side. And this place we're in this evening, Molina de, de Aragon, was used to be a taifa i think um that was the, the, the name for a sort of independent republic muslim republic um and in the years when the the moors were settled or had settled in spain and i understand this place was predominantly inhabited by um by berbers rich you know the berbers thing um not barbers I've not barber jackets the, i've heard of the berber the berbers um uh but I don't. I can't. My knowledge doesn't. It uh, uh, doesn't extend well, as far as yours, Daniel. Describe, I know you've been researching this all afternoon. Can, no, I, I actually researched it before we set out on our odyssey, Richard, in Spain. Um, but describe the scene because I do love the I do love the old Daniel trick question. Brilliant. I'm going to have to prepare a few of those. For you. Describe the scene. Well, it's we can see a castle up there. Um, it's a pretty desolate place, though, isn't it? I mean, driving from Burgos to here. Uh, there's miles and miles of nothing, really. Um, you're quite. We were remarking yesterday on 
how high this plateau is. It's it, you know there there are very few parts of the UK that are as high as as we the are. The Meseta Central, the high, the central For, plateau of Spain. Yeah, it's just it's just pretty high. It's about what thousand meters. Um, and. Uh, it, you know, there's, but there's nothing. It's, 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 you can see why they shot spaghetti westerns around here because it is, it is quite desert-like, isn't it? We saw some extraordinary birds yesterday as well, didn't we? Uh, kind of hovering. I huge didn't know, and, of I, and I didn't realise that you'd become such an ornithologist. No, no, you pointed them out, but they were enormous and they were just hovering above the ground, and I didn't know what they were, and still don't. Um, you can get an app for that, I believe, to help identify birds. Um, but Daniel, uh, today was a we weren't quite sure what to expect. You pointed out this morning that the road book was a bit misleading. Yeah, there was a bit of... Well, there was a lot of talk about the road book and the, the profile, what it was... Somebody answer that, please. Well, how it appeared on paper and what it was going to be like on or in reality this morning at the start. Um, obviously, as we've mentioned many times in the last few months and years, the, the riders and teams are very well prepared very much au fait with well, what's going to face them every day because they use apps like Velo Viewer and Google Earth and so there were no real surprises for them but you know I went up there this afternoon Rich um, for the finish and it was really the last 300 metres that, that kicked up I think it, it really affected the timing of the sprint and we saw Groupama FDJ do a really good lead out they really got their act together after a difficult second day here at the Vuelta when it all went wrong and today they led Demar out beautifully, but he went quite early. I think he went with about 150 or 175 meters to go, which would usually be a short sprint. But actually, with the road kicking up as it did, about five or six percent, he possibly went a little bit too early. Whether he had enough power to beat Jakobsen anyway is another matter. I think Demar could be quite happy because he's been well off the pace, hasn't he? And it was a sort of return to form for him today he was very gracious in congratulating uh, Jakobsen actually at the finish he's always quite gracious isn't he but um, I think he might be quietly you know he'll take something from that for the days ahead because he, he hasn't been anywhere near winning and, and today was as close as he's been for quite a, quite a while um, so some encouragement for him there I think um, yeah Jasper Philipson was was boxed and they again they had they had numbers up there but didn't quite get their act together uh, that weird crash for the of all people the red jersey I mean one rider goes down in the middle of the bunch and, and you realise it's the guy in the red jersey fortunately within three kilometres so he didn't lose any time he didn't seem to be too badly hurt either um, just to touch the wheels he said uh uh, a Jumbo Visma rider uh, caused it in front of him, so not and quite sure I, I, exactly I saw what happened. What was at first quite an animated conversation, which became a very amicable com- conversation after the finish line between Rog and King Kenny Elisande, and they had a right old chin wag for which lasted for about a minute or two. That's and long, um, isn't as it, I said, for there Rog? was some yeah, there was some gesturing at first. I thought there, there might have been some beef, but. Um, it was it was all sort of smiles and pats. Be an interesting fight that wouldn't it? Yeah, King, King Kenny and, and, and pats Rog. on the back. King Kenny, of course, who was in the, the King of the Mountains jersey today. He was indeed. He was yeah. wearing the King of the Mountains jersey. Was he the rightful owner of the no, King of the Mountains jersey? Taramai is the rightful owner of the King of the Mountains jersey at the moment. Um, but Daniel, today all about Fabi Jakobsen really wasn't it? Um, he said in his press conference, "I think this, we can say this is the end of my comeback." His parents are here in Spain. Um, which, and his uh, grandfather called his him. His grandfather called soon him. After that, the that was another sort of tear-jerking moment. Yeah, we we had uh, video footage of his phone call with his grandfather asking him if he'd seen it, and obviously a great moment for his family, I imagine. Um, 
at one point in this press conference as well, Jakobsen said, I don't want to be whining about it, but I spent a month in intensive care. Um, my limit my limit on pain is maybe a bit higher as a, as a result. Um, you know, we don't want to... The, 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 come, the comeback is over. He's back, isn't he? So we don't want to dwell forever on what he's come back from, but it's such a, a powerful part of the story with Jakobsen. It is, but, you know, you talk about, well him not wanting any further kind of caveats or he certainly doesn't want to dwell on it too much but we often forget just what point he was at in his career when he had the crash before he had the crash if you go back and look at the statistics and crunch the numbers he was the the sprinter the world tour sprinter with the highest win percentage um before that he was sort of batting at an average of just over 50 percent uh, Groener Vegan was kind of in that class as well, but he very much in the ascendant um, in his career, wasn't he? And isn't he now? I mean, he's he's well placed, I would say, um, to well to certainly contend for that. We usually have a a kind of apex predator among the sprinters, don't we? And it, and over the last few years, we've often had this conversation that hasn't really been the case. Occasionally, well, there have been times when Caleb Ewan has, has threatened to take that position take that status I'm not sure it's really been a done deal who did the kind of quick step or quick step apex floors or whatever they'll be called next year send to the Tour de France Mark Cavendish or Fabio Jakobsen there's a story for who's another the day ultimate, who is the well uh, in the wolf pack who is the ultimate apex predator among the sprinters that's a good question on the bus and enjoying a very nice albeit long transfer celebrating a yeah a lovely victory today I think I think we did a a good job but I think Fabio is the star of the show and rightly so he did an amazing sprint there we've been we got it up on the TV afterwards all watching it on the trip to the hotel and yeah he's just blasted past everyone there on that uh, drag to the line it's something I've seen him do before in the under 23s in the pro ranks he seems to be able to, he's just raw power and he's just so impressive and yeah wow what to say honestly just uh so happy for him uh what a lovely way to come back you know the whole story everything yeah i can't quite really put it into words just to to describe the determination um the grit that he has um and he always has done as well but to come back for everything that happened in Poland, still be the same guy, still have that same, same fight and fire in his belly. And he's just a man that handles the pressure and seems to thrive in those conditions as well. But yeah, yeah, also just quite amazing for me, really. I was there in Poland over a year ago now. I was his, I was his roommate. I remember being pretty affected by it, pretty horrified seeing him. Um, and everything he's been through, seeing him step by step at training camps in December. Scars and surgery, no teeth, bashed up face to slowly coming back to looking more and more like Fabio, even though always the person there was was the same. And I think, yeah, that's, you know, been really important for us as a team that still, there's always still Fabio. Um, and he talks about not really being affected by the crash just because he simply didn't really remember it which yeah what can you say just to put it behind him get on with it and uh want to keep wants to keep winning um yeah i just think the whole thing's beautiful you know the team supported him as well 
giving him giving him an extra couple of years on his contract I think before he'd even race again this year so this is one we're really going to enjoy as a team uh, sit down and have a, a beer or two tonight make a toast yeah really lovely really love to, to be a part of well, of course, it was an extremely significant and poignant day for Fabio Jakobsen, the whole team, but also particularly for Florian Seneschal, his lead-out man, who did, well, he set up Jakobsen perfectly today. And Seneschal was, well, he was leading out Jakobsen on the day when he crashed in Poland last year, so much so that with about 400 metres to go in Poland as the crash was unfolding. He'd sort of pulled almost to the side of the, the road, just inside the barriers, expecting to see Jakobsen raise his arms. And what he saw instead was barriers flying up in the air because Jakobsen had crashed. Um, Seneschal made his way quickly to where the crash had happened. And he was the first on the scene, in effect, the first to attend to Jakobsen because there were, there were other people who had rushed across the road. I don't know whether there were already paramedics there, but the, the focus initially was on a photographer who was clearly very badly injured. But Seneschal saw his friend, his teammate, his face in the words that Seneschal used was, had exploded. He, he was unrecognizable. And um, Seneschal sort of panicking... Um, he could see how much blood that Jakobsen was losing and he thought that he was dying in front of his eyes and he sort of lifted his head slightly. He said to, to, to make sure that the blood didn't flow down into his um, digestive system or back the other way into his brain, too much blood. And, um, and well, fortunately, happily, um, Fabio Jakobsen's life was saved and his family, Jakobsen's family, have credited Seneschal with saving Jakobsen's life. Um, Seneschal has sort of, he's batted away those suggestions, but he himself has suffered a lot over the last um, year and and few months. He, I understand he had counselling for uh, several months after the crash because he couldn't sleep and he was having flashbacks himself. And um, what he he has said consistently over the last year or so is that their their destinies are forever linked now he and Jacobson Jacobson he and Jacobson um he feels they've well they're they're going to be lifelong friends and um it was very fitting that he was there today when Jacobson claimed this win and Rich I spoke to Florian Seneschal at the finish line well Florian a very emotional day for Fabio and I guess for you as well because you were there in Poland last year when it all happened yeah, it's crazy for Pablo. It's, it's a nice moment. Um, I am happy for him because I was there when he crashed in Poland. I was there also some one time uh, at house to Netherlands. Uh, it's not easy for family for him, but now after one year he come back. He come back stronger and he's strong for for phys- for the physique, but also in the head because. Some people cannot come back after this accident. What, what's impressed you the most about the way he's dealt with the last year? Um, he never uh, lose the mental. He never uh, always good uh, atmosphere. Always never ah uh, I am shit. It's not good for me. Always I can come back. I train. I train easy. I have time, but for sure I come back and I come back more stronger. And he come back step by step. And sometimes he train a lot and he stop because he have a gun operation. He stopped two weeks. I think four times uh, for in the winter. He train, he stopped because he have some operation. I sleep one time with him and he have pain in, uh, 
another two. Yeah, uh, he lose a lot of blood in Dauphiné this year because he have a lot of operation. It's uh, it's, it's bad experience, but it's also good experience for cycling, for sport. When you have a mental, you can do everything. Chute, chute à l'arrière du peloton. Cycling podcast, Team Car, the back of the pack, please. That's uh, PK, the voice of Radio Tour at the Tour de France, interrupting our coverage from the Vuelta a España to remind us to tell you that it is sponsored by Babbel. Now, for most of us, learning a second language in school wasn't exactly a high point in our academic careers. Daniel, you're a bit different, obviously. <laughs> I mean, um, languages are something that come almost naturally to you. You I don't need say that, language Richard. learning apps. But what I was going to ask you, what, what for you... Um, what does being able to speak, understand a language do for you when you are in a foreign country? How does it open up the country? Well, I always think that it, it sort of multiplies your life and by the factor of however many languages you speak. You know, you have a different friendship circle in each language. You have a different, you can almost develop a different personality in, in each language. Um, you have different reference, cultural references in every language. So, yeah, it is, um, it is in my case, like multiplying a very narrow... Um, a, a, a very narrow, sad, pathetic existence by, by, by several times. Several. Well, I don't have uh, Daniel's ability with languages, but thanks to Babbel, I am trying to improve my French. Babbel teaches bite-sized language lessons that you'll actually use in the real world. World Learning a new language is our opportunity to make deeper connections, as Daniel just said, with other people, and we can all benefit from more connections at the moment. Um, now is perhaps the time to start learning uh, another language to prepare for your first post-COVID trip. Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. They design their courses with practical, real-world conversations in mind. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts, i.e. real people, so you can learn useful vocabulary and not meaningless phrases. It's available as an app or online, and your progress will be synced across all devices. There's also podcasts. Um, there are Spanish and French podcasts offered by Babbel, and 14 different languages are on offer, including Spanish, Italian, French, and German. Babbel is offering our listeners six months free with a purchase of a six-month subscription with the promo code CYCLING. Go to uk.babbel.com forward slash play and use the promo code CYCLING for an extra six months free. That's uk.babbel.com forward slash play promo code CYCLING. And that web address is also in the episode notes. Se ha parado ahí, ha tenido que levantarse de la bicicleta para poder seguir reintaramae. Está ahí acompasando bien el esfuerzo de las piernas, pero claro, ahí el desarrollo. Uf, aquí echando todo lo que tiene. Yo creo que ya sí. Kilómetro, eh. Según lo que nos arriba, le queda un kilómetro porque está a tres, a tres y medio la cima. Ryan, you said that yesterday almost completed your journey as a cyclist. A lot of us got to know you in the Vuelta 13 years ago, 12 years ago, Soret de Cati, Alicante, which we go back to, well, we go to Alicante in a few days. Do you ever think back to that day? Yeah, in this day I was uh, in breakaway, strongest guy for sure, but uh, I had not much experience, I don't know, with the last climb. Uh, in last climb, in bottom, I let all my breakaway uh, companions easily. I was alone, but my uh, 
I don't know it that this climb is so steep. I was so rookie, I even not uh, look at the road book before race. And I don't uh, ask mechanics to change the gearing and I don't have enough cares. Ahora lo estamos viendo repetido, eh, como se ha fundido Reintaramay, Marzano y Gustavo César Veloso que han llegado desde atrás y se acaban de colocar en cabeza de carrera. So when I go in full gas, uh, I had just two hard gears and uh, when it's going more and more steep, then I lose the, all my power and yeah, it was really good lessons. It would be great if you could keep the red jersey at Balcón de Alicante. That would really complete the, the journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, Rich, that was our race leader, Ryan Taramai, reliving the a day that I referred to last night in last night's podcast in 2009, Vuelta a España, when he his lead on the Zoret de Cati climb well, was, was sort of incinerated, vaporized in a fashion I've rarely ever seen. Um, look up, we will we'll post the video that it exists on YouTube and the video of that stage finale. It's really something um, at one stage where I think there are 3.9 kilometers to go and he has over a minute advantage and at 3.5 kilometers to go he's caught and um, he finished the stage in something like 111th position so one of the the more spectacular collapses in uh, Vuelta España but um, well we've, we've thought and we've dwelled uh, we've pondered over the last 24 hours his career and what a, a kind of unusual career it, it is in some respects lots of different teams lots of highs lots of lows and now at 34 years of age leading the Vuelta España and obviously in really good form in good shape he crashed today but he's got a good chance I think of of keeping the jersey for a few days and you know I mentioned there speaking to him this morning this stage in uh, that finishes at Balcon de Alicante which is really the, the first really difficult summit finish after Picon Blanco yesterday and it's on stage seven the Balcon de Alicante stage not far from that Zoret de Cati finish in 2009. I think he can keep the jersey until then. He, he'll have to guard against, you know, attacks and and uh, well, what well, it's a difficult finish on stage six as well in Cuyera. But I think he's looking he's looking good, and his team were looking pretty good today. They controlled the race, and um, yeah, it's funny how a couple of results. So um, Taco van der Horn's win at the Giro d'Italia, and Taramai's yesterday they can really define a season and to a certain extent the future of a team like Antoine Marché. It was very strange to see uh, Antoine Marché on the front of the bunch because the Antoine Marché are a new sponsor the colors are quite familiar and they, they were always a, a kind of plucky underdog weren't they Johan Fredo was their man for the breakaway at the Tour de France but that very vivid yellow blue white um, uh, kit is not something is not it's not a team that we associate with being at the front of the bunch on the ground through controlling things as they were today and it was a, a, an odd sight an odd an odd sight a little pun there on one of their riders um, to see them doing that and and of course that's what teams do they rise to that challenge when they have the, the lead um, it's a hugely important result for them isn't it because they're a world tour team they haven't really had world tour results this year I mean they're, they're not you know I would say they're in the lower reaches of the world tour just clinging on and this is this is massive for them as the Giro win was as well yeah and it's a team whose recruitment particularly in the last year or so has led us to well wonder a little bit about 
where they think they're going as a team. No really obvious... And what their identity is. Yeah, no really obvious focus on sprints, time trials, classics or or grand tours. But actually, Rich, one of their directors sportifs and one of the main decision makers at Antal Marche, Valerio Piva, shed a little bit of light on that to me this morning. We have uh, riders that on the paper they are maybe at the end of the career, they have already some good results in the past, they have the experience and with changing team they maybe they find new motivation and that is why uh, what I was pushing and hoping from riders like this, Manchester the same. Uh, so th- this guy they, they, they find a good, uh, good environment, they find a good uh, motivation, uh, Rain was super strong in the Giro also. He had uh, there also, he tried also there, the, the, the day that uh, 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 the, the Dombrowski, Dombrowski win, he was also there to try for the jersey here, uh, he was thinking from the first day uh, on this stage, so, and he was, he was super motivated to do uh, what we discussed some days earlier, and the plan was, for sure you need luck, but if you don't try, you don't, uh, you don't have nothing, so that is the key. He's a guy who's had a long career, and way back in 2009, I think, at the World so already, he, he almost won a stage, and then he did in 2011. But since then, it's been flashes of brilliance, and then years when he seems to have got lost. What's your summary of, of the rider he is and the rider he has been? I, I know him now. I have a feeling that he have uh, he need uh, he need to find a good uh, env- environment. So I, he's, he functions good when he is motivated, and I think that is uh, of course when you are young, you have ambition, you are, you are fresh, you want to show who you are. Then you have some result, and you you start to be relaxed, and then you need to have uh, the team where you you feel they they believe in me, and maybe some year. That was not like this, but uh, now here, what he told me, he feel really good. He feel, he feel good. He feel good in the team. Uh, he know that is maybe at the end. He, he don't have the the same uh, power and and uh, that he, when he was young, but he have the experience on the other side. And that is why yesterday he was really. You saw he ride really clever. He was never in panic. And uh, but he's, uh, I think the head, everything is in, in his head. And for a director sportive, how satisfying is it to sort of give an older rider that last, you know, that last flourish in their career? Yeah, that is uh, very nice, a very good feeling because you know everybody can uh, can lead a champion uh, when he's in top shape. <laughs> okay, attack, uh, and you go, you win. I think when you you work with riders like this and you you spend time, sometimes come nothing out. But yesterday was for me a really nice uh, present. So I'm I'm happy when we have uh, the result with riders like like this. So we heard there Rich Piva referring to or alluding to this this strategy. It seems like a a kind of personal passion project that he has to sort of. 
give chances to riders who have gone through a rough patch or are coming to the end of their career. You know, it's it's kind of similar on a lower level to what we've lauded at De Kooning, Quick Step. There have been other teams that have done this as well in the past, even Gianni Savio to a certain extent with with uh, veteran riders. But it's it's well, it's not really a high risk strategy because usually, by definition, the riders these teams are signing the older riders or the the rejected riders come at a pretty good price. Piva, we should say, is formerly of BMC and HCC High Road. I mean, he's been at really successful teams, two quite different teams, but BMC, a high-budget team, HCC High Road, a prolifically winning team. So it, it, it's quite, it must be quite a culture change for him to be at this team, which I, I, the identity thing is interesting because it's a, it's a Belgian team with a French main sponsor, very... Hilaire van der Schuren is the, is the main man there, very kind of old school Belgian sports director has been around forever. Um, and, I, you know, to see Piva there is kind of strange. He might be um, taking on more responsibility, I guess, and, and, and being able to create the team more in his own image because they are, they're not a new team. They're a team that's evolved from an old team. Um, and maybe next year we'll see some some changes and, 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 and the team starting to take on a bit of a stronger identity. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thanks very much to Science and Sport, our sponsor since 2016. Um, and if you would like 25% off all your Science and Sport products, go to scienceandsport.com and enter the code SISCP25 at the checkout. That's SISCP25. And thanks very much again to Science and Sport. Daniel, tomorrow you'll be flying solo because I fly home tomorrow. Um, I'm coming back out for the final week of the Vuelta. But in the meantime... We're going to be um, botching something together with Lionel in Not Watford, me and oh, France. Bo- botching, we'll and be crafting here. something you, beautiful. Beautiful, it'll be different, it'll be an, a something hybrid. Something beautiful and visionary, Richard. Hybrid, you'll be on the ground here throughout at the Vuelta, telling us, you know, smelling it for us, feeling it for us, touching it for us, bringing all that to life Tasting in the podcast. Tasting it for us. Tasting it, doing all that, smelling well, one it. Thing we'll miss Might about, have said that already. One thing we'll miss about Burgos are the tapas bars. We found an excellent one, didn't we? Boca yeah, I mean, Spain has quite a lot of tapas bars, not, Boca not de just Lobo, in Burgos. Bo- um, that Boca was a Lobo, find, wasn't Mouth it? of the Wolf, which I think we already mentioned in the yeah, podcast, with didn't we? with the ace waiter. I mean, the, the, one of the best waiters I've ever encountered. Uh, this guy was the Clint Eastwood from The Good, The Bad and The Ugly of waiters. You know, He was the primo of waiters, I think. His wine bottle was his gun. It was, it was always, he was quick to draw. He, he spotted when you needed a top up and he was absolutely brilliant. So um, go and visit there if you're ever in Burgos. What can we look forward to tomorrow, Daniel, apart from me not being here? Well, Rich, we're heading further across the Dust Bowl towards the Mediterranean coast. We're heading to a place which has become kind of against the odds. You you know, you, you look at it on a, on a map, you look at the location, you wouldn't suspect that this would have played host to some quite famous or infamous stages in the Vuelta, but we're going from Tarancon to Albacete. And Albacete has been infamous for crosswinds um throughout the last 20 30 years in fact at the in the vuelta pretty much every time the race has gone there rich there have been what the spanish call abanicos which are well they're, they're fans in 
Spanish as well. The word for a fan is abanico, but they're also crosswinds. And um, yeah, as I said, a long but history. But you don't like crosswinds, Daniel. No, I don't like. I don't they like. They make crosswinds. you sad. Uh, they'll make me. I'm sure I'll be very upset tomorrow. But Rich, just just browsing the history of stages at Albacete. Um, so 1992, the the race was torn apart. Abdu Japarov won in 1992. Um, 1996, Onse ripped it apart on the stage from Cuenca to Albacete, and this was a real theme for many years of stages at Albacete. Kelme, the Kelme boys. Those of you who are following cycling in the 90s, well, you'll be very familiar with the Kelme, the white and green striped jersey, and they always struggled hopelessly, hilariously in crosswinds. That was the case in 1996 when Onse ripped them apart. Jalabert won what must have been one of his last ever bunch sprints, I'm sure, um, on his way to winning that year's Vuelta a España. In 2000, again, Kelme was shredded apart. Oscar Freire won the stage, Albacete. And then in 2003, a very young Alejandro Valverde riding for Kelme was the victim of the Abanicos again. And the stage was won by Ale- Alessandro, not Alejandro, Alessandro Petaki. Wow, Alejandro Valverde was racing in the Vuelta in 2003, ago, shortly years before ago. finishing on the podium. I think he finished third, didn't he, in the Worlds in Hamilton. Um, in I think it was his second season as a pro in 2003. Extraordinary, extraordinary. Um, is there a team here, Daniel, who might look at that and fancy it? Uh, I'm talking about a GC team because obviously the current Quick Step are, are are famous for doing that, um, and they may have uh, you know a lot of confidence tomorrow as a result of today's win. But is there a GC team who might look at that and fancy it? Because you remember when we had crosswinds here a couple of years ago, Guadalajara. Pimos Roglic missed out. He was he was left behind. Well, I was about to I was about to simplify it for you, Rich, and we'll ask you Thanks. who's who's more likely. <laughs> I like I enjoy. I always I always appreciate that. Who's more likely of the two? Are we, are we calling them the big two teams of this Vuelta? Ineos, Grenadiers, and Visma. Oh, sorry. Um, who's more likely to be Slayer and Slade? With the teams they have here, you would think that they're they're pretty evenly matched. But I would say that Ineos probably have the edge slightly, ever so slightly, on a crosswind stage. I think, but um, Bernal they don't have, and they don't uh, many uh, riders. Ultimately, though, ultimately, ultimately I mean, it depends on on Bernal and, and Roglic and where those two are. Jumbo Visma have more what you would call rulers in their team. I would suggest with Van Hooydonk and. Um, Hofstad. Hofstad and some sort of semi-rulers in Robert Hasink, could you yeah. call a semi-ruler? Whereas uh, Ineos, Van Baal. I suppose, yeah, it's, it's pretty much even on that score, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, um, it's pretty much even. And it, and it would be a case of, you know, I think it was bad luck or bad positioning or inattention that cost Roglic uh, in the, the crosswinds a couple of years ago. And it didn't ultimately cost him too much in the end. Um but who knows? I mean, it's nice. What's more likely, I think, is that some outsider um, escapes. If there are crosswinds and if there are lots of echelons, then someone who's perhaps not one of those big favourites uh, gets in, in in the front echelon and steals a bit of time and perhaps um, upends the apple cart. I, I've just said all of this, Rich, and the forecast for tomorrow is not particularly windy. <laughs> it's about 13 kilometres an hour 
All that um, for nothing. Crosswinds on the way into Albacete. But All that discussion that for nothing. That could be enough. That could be. I believe in. Um, I believe in. There's a, there's a very famous quote. I'm an, as you know, Rich. I'm an Arsenal football fan. And there's a very famous meme quote from the Italian defender Giorgio Chiellini talking about how Tottenham had thrown it away in a game against Juventus, and he said, eh, "This is the history of the Tottenham. We believe in the history." Um, that's, that wasn't a very Italian English accent, was it? Um, anyway, I believe in the history. I be- you believe in the history I be- of this? I believe in the history of Albacete. Albacete is going to deliver. It's going to make you sad, Daniel, if that happens. But um, for the rest of us, it'll provide a lot of entertainment if that does happen. Quite windy now, so, you know, um, you never know. We are on this plateau, and so when the wind blows, it can... Uh, we saw it a couple of years ago, that famous stage to Guadalajara, one of the best stages of a Grand Tour I've ever witnessed. Um, let's hope for more of the same tomorrow. Rich... We started the day today in Ribera del Duero country, wine country. We're heading towards so Requena, Bobao country. We're heading towards Valencia. We're, he- we're also heading to Paella country. You're going to miss that. And we, in a couple of days, we finish in Cuyera, which is very famous for its paella. And lots of rice is growing around, just around where the finish is going to be in a couple of days. Well, I'm f- full up with Marcia after my few days in Burgos. There's no room for anything else. You'll be back. I'll be back for the Pinchos uh, along the, 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 the northern coast of Spain and then into Galicia and uh, and my I, I'm going to revive what was supposed to be a regular feature and I think it was regular for one day the Pinchos y Pinchazos there haven't been many punctures have there? there was one for Gino Meda yesterday which probably cost the environment a few no it wouldn't have it would have helped the environment no because, because he pays for he, he oh he pays for how many riders he beats sorry it costs him more to finish higher up oh sorry sorry we heard about that in last night's episode of course um, well that's well you have to go and find him and speak to him about his puncture at some point Daniel stick to your pledge anyway I'll uh, connect with you tomorrow night uh, remotely uh, I wish you the best of luck thank you over the next 10 days or so well. and I'll see you in uh, Santiana del Mar nos vemos